0: Good morning. I'm John, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for September 12th. On this day in 1999, WCW presented the 7th edition of Fall Brawl. What WCW legend won his final world championship on this night 23 years ago? Hey there, if you're listening to this, then chances are you love wrestling. And if you care to continue the conversation with me, John, and other listeners of this show, then I invite you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. Just search for Daily Wrestling News Show or go to facebook.com groups slash wrestling news show and click join. We cannot wait to meet you there. The group is brand new, so if you're one of the first to join, don't be afraid to say hi. Now, on with the show. Fall Brawl 1999 came to us live from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and it was... an odd evening. Referee Mark Curtis, aka Brian Hildebrand, had passed away just four days earlier, adding a somber, uneasy feel to tonight. We were a year and a half past the end of WCW's dominance in the Monday Night Wars. Nitro was now regularly getting doubled in the ratings by RAW. Eight months clear from the finger poke of doom, The NWO was a mess, and Hulk Hogan had returned to the Red and Yellows, though he definitely hadn't regained the trust of everyone on the roster just yet. Fall Brawl was the pay-per-view that had become synonymous with Dusty Rhodes's creation, the War Games match. This year's card would not have a War Games match for the first time in six years, thereby starting off behind the eight ball from a fan perspective. The War Games match was also closely associated with the Four Horsemen, but the Horsemen fell apart in May of 99 when Malenko and Benoit walked away from Flair who was the on-screen president of WCW at the time, to join Shane Douglas and Perry Saturn to form the Revolution. This card, while taking place deep in Flair country, would have essentially no mention of Ric Flair and the Horsemen, another aspect that made this night feel weird before it even started. The opening contest featured the potential show-stealing team of Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Billy Kidman, taking on the very talented Vampiro and his partners, the Insane Clown Posse. It was a rematch from the previous month's Road Wild pay-per-view that no one was clamoring for. While the Guerrero, Mysterio, Kidman team could carry just about any opponents to a stellar match, the very basic capabilities of the ICP made this match feel like it was contested under a wet blanket. It ended with a shooting star press from Kidman and another L for the Vampiro and ICP team. Cut to the previously mentioned Revolution Group, made up of Shane Douglas, Dean Malenko, Benoit, and Perry Saturn. They're backstage at the WCW.com interview desk. With all four members in action tonight, Perry Saturn guarantees a clean sweep. Douglas and Malenko almost immediately went out and lost the tag match to Jimmy Hart's first family of Hugh Morris and Brian Knobs. Side note, over the last 20 plus years I had forgotten just how pretty Hugh Morris's big man moonsault was. A precursor to Jacob Fatu's mighty moonsault for sure. Up next, Perry Saturn fell short in a bid to take the TV title from Rick Steiner. 0-2 for the revolution so far. The first semi-bright spot on the night that gave this card a WCW feel was when Harlem Heat, recently reformed when Stevie Ray left the crumbling NWO, won their record-extending ninth WCW Tag Team Championship by beating Barry and Kendall Windham. The last shot for the revolution came in the form of Chris Benoit defending the United States title against the 79-0 man of the millennium, Sid Vicious. Hmm... September of 1999, Millennium Man, I wonder where they came up with that idea, and an undefeated streak to boot. Side note number two, remember this last paragraph, the next time I think about taking a swipe at WWE Creative. Anyway, Vicious would take the US title and go to 80-0 with a liver-rattling powerbomb. Hey, Saturn was right, it was a clean sweep for the revolution, just in the wrong column on the stat sheet. The penultimate match of the evening saw Goldberg defeat Diamond Dallas Page in a crutch match. Nothing special about this match unless you count the fact that it went 9 plus minutes and Goldberg managed not to hurt anyone for real. But the evening was built around the main event for the WCW Championship. The Hulkster, returning to the red and yellow, defending against Sting, who was back in black. All the ugliness of the NWO forgotten, these two friends were just out to put on a good exhibition of sportsmanship. Blah, blah, blah. In the middle of this angle was Sting's good buddy Lex Luger, who pestered Sting for weeks not to trust Hogan, going so far as to produce a picture of Hogan standing next to a white Hummer. You remember that storyline, right? Eh, don't worry. WCW Creative barely did either. Luger was so insistent that Hogan couldn't be trusted that he and Sting actually came to blows. And while confronting Hogan in his locker room, there would be a lights out moment where Sting would be knocked out cold but both Hogan and Luger were within striking distance. So who was it that attacked Sting? Early in the show tonight, Hulk Hogan found himself explaining yet again to Mean Gene why he was a good guy and could be trusted again. He would go so far as to swear on his kids and the red and yellow. Well, fast forward to the match. It starts with a handshake and a fist bump before the bell and in trying to give the crowd one more reason to cheer on this lackluster card, Bret Hart was announced by Michael Buffer solely for the purpose of coming to the ring and wishing both men good luck. I'm as big a Bret fan as you'll find, but geez, he came to the ring, shook both guys' hands, and headed back up the entryway. They were really reaching tonight. In just under 12 and a half minutes, the match would see DDP knock out the ref, costing Hogan a potential pin, as it happened right after the leg drop. DDP would proceed to hit the diamond cutter on Hogan and flip Sting's carcass onto the holster. Hogan kicks out so Paige hits the ref with a diamond cutter. Then Bret Hart sprints down to take out DDP. Sid Vicious is down next. He misses a swipe at Hogan and gets dropped with a big boot. Lex Luger follows with a baseball bat in hand but drops it as he slides in and is handled pretty quickly by Hogan. Sting picks up the bat and a confused Hogan soon finds himself between Sting and the recovering Luger. There's a pregnant pause in the action before Sting takes the bat to Hogan's gut and follows with a clubbing blow to the back before tossing the bat to Luger. As Sting puts an unconscious Hogan in the scorpion Deathlock, Luger clobbers Bret Hart again just to keep him from playing sheriff and get back up. Referee Charles Robinson slides in to check on Hogan's limp arm and call for the bell your winner and six-time WCW champion, Sting. Some catering garbage would find its way into the ring, but nothing on the scale of Bash at the Beach 96. The Stinger was getting some booze, but this was supposed to be a major heel turn, and the crowd was barely 50-50. The thing was, the crowd wasn't really loud about much of anything. They were mostly bored. This was just a bad show. The matches weren't great. The building wasn't even close to full. The unenergetic crowd was too brightly lit, so you could see just how not into each match they were. There was no war games. And when the WCW legend Sting won the title, most of the fans forgot they were supposed to boo an obvious heel turn. And that's just a shame, because this would be Sting's ninth world championship and his sixth and final run as WCW champion. Sting deserved better. The WCW Championship deserved better, and the fans sure as hell deserved better. But these were the dying days of WCW, and the Vince Russo Circus was right around the corner. So things would get worse. Strap in, kids. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show for September 12, 2022. We'll see you tomorrow.